Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Hey guys, welcome back to Mom Brain. I'm Daphne. And I'm Ilaria. And today we are joined by a very special mama. You've probably seen her on shows like, oh, I don't know, you know, House, The West Wing, The Kaminsky Method, and so many more. She is a People's Choice Award winner for Favorite TV Actress. It's not hard to see why. We are so very excited to welcome Lisa Edelstein. You guys are going to love her. And we're super excited as well because she's our very first stepmom that we're going to talk to. She is a loving stepmom to two boys, and I am a stepmom myself, and I always love talking to other stepmommies um, because, you know, it, it it is tricky. It's a tricky path to walk. Um, so she is extremely vocal about how she has managed to do this and do this under circumstances that you would be, you know, skeptical if you were entering the situation. So um, really excited for you guys to listen to. Anytime I post on Instagram about being a stepmom, there's so many other stepmoms out there. And I feel like we are not talked about enough and we don't talk enough. And it is something that we need a lot of support figuring out. So open your ears, get excited. We're going to have a great conversation. You guys are going to love it. And here's our chat with Lisa Edelstein. This is a fact. Hi, I'm Lisa Edelstein. Uh, you can see me on the Kaminsky Method, season three coming up, and uh, 911 Lone Star, where I will be intimate with Rob Lowe. Um, I am uh, I'm a stepmom. I'm a stepmom of two gorgeous guys um, who are now 15 and 13, and I've been with them since they were babies, and they are uh, they're, they're pretty amazing. And where can we follow you? You can follow me on Instagram at Lisa Edelstein, uh, same on Facebook and on Twitter. I actually own my name on all three. I'm not on TikTok because I can't, <laughs> I just don't have the time to make videos of myself. I, <laughs> I'm super excited to talk to you for many, many reasons, but one is because I'm a stepmom too. Oh, you are? Yes. I have a, I have an almost 25 year old stepdaughter, Ireland. How old was Ireland when uh, you joined the family? She was almost 15. So I've known Alec for 10 years. Um, and we, you know, Ireland and I are super, super close. And I, I, I always wonder what it is that has made that happen. I think some of it just has, has to do with who we are and how our relationship Um, evolved. I think some of it had to do with the fact that, you know, we didn't live in the same place and she lived in LA and and I've always lived here. Um, I think it, I think some of it had to do with that. I wasn't the next relationship that came in, which I'll be curious to hear what you say, because, you know, you talked about how you were, Um, you know, yeah. And so, I mean, there had been a lot of time had passed since her parents had been together. I'd love to hear from you because you came in on in very different circumstances, but also had an amazing have an amazing had and have an amazing experience. Yes. Well, when I met my husband, he had only been separated for about seven weeks. Wow. But you know, oh, wow. Seven. It was like it was like textbook bad idea. But yeah. when you meet that person, and it's like so clear on so many levels all those problems don't matter. Um, so the hardest thing about it for us was that I was living through the trauma of their divorce with them. (laughs) Um, and it's traumatic for everybody. And it was 
uh, as, as always, a long time coming. A lot of things had built up to that moment in time. And the kids were really, really confused and um, spun out. Um, and one of them was having really violent temper tantrums and like really hard time adjusting. So when I stepped in and both parents were in a chaotic state of mind because like every, their whole lives had turned upside down. And um, so when I stepped into this family, which it was sort of like you're, you're in or you're out from day one, because you can't, you can't like casually date somebody who's got two really little kids and major trauma happening. Um, it's either you're in or you're out. So um, because I recognized in Robert, my husband, who he was and what a good match we were, it was just like, fine, I'm, I'm in. I'm a grown up. I know how to, I can do this. So it definitely, it was challenging for a lot of years because we are 50-50 with their mom. We have very different households, but the kids needed parenting in both households and my husband couldn't do it by himself. And so initially it was really hands-on for me. And then as things settled down, um, I could sort of take a backseat to my husband and sort of um, facilitate. I could facilitate his parenting. So it, it kind of mutated over time. Like you have to be really open to what the needs are, but also the kids, you know, like the kids would go to school. There, there's so many landmines. The kids would go to school. Uh, they they were the first divorced family in their school because they were very young. Um, they were in nursery school and kindergarten. They were, one had just turned three and one had just turned five. And so they were trying to figure out what their family was now. Mm -hmm. um, and they decided they had, they were like the families that had two moms, which are ah. lesbian couples. They had seen lesbian couples and not divorce. And of course that language is very triggering for their mom, but that language didn't come from me. So like these landmines exist, it's so complicated. And then she would have like, a big reaction to something that I had no control over. Um, so there was just a lot of negotiating along the way. So, you know, you're really in a relationship with the parent that you're not in a relationship with when you have, when there are kids involved. Um, and you have, as a step parent of young children, you have to show up 100% as a parent and you have no language. Uh, you have no name, especially if you're unmarried. So you are parenting 100% and you're not allowed to be officially a mother and you're not married. So you're not a stepmother and stepmother has all these negative connotations from storybooks. So it's a really interesting problem to have. Um, now the kids are much older. It's, it's a very different experience, but back then it was really difficult. Um, not with the kids. I mean, the kids, it was difficult just in the sense that raising kids can be difficult. Um, and they had their own personal struggles. You know, our, our kid who was having all the outbursts, like it was amazing. Like what the way as a family unit, we helped him work through that. He's become this like incredibly emotionally intelligent young man um, because he had to learn how to manage his big feelings. And 
most grownups never learn that. Exactly. <laughs> and they go into anger exactly. management therapy when they're 50 and they've <sighs> just screamed at all their coworkers. Um, <laughs> so he's, he's really wonderful. I mean, they're both, they're both great guys. And, and honestly, like the biggest, the biggest challenge, there are so many challenges. There's a big challenge when it comes to language. Like what is the name of you? Um, and that language can be used against you. Like she's not your mom. You know what I mean? Even though you are 100% parenting. Uh, but ultimately as the kids get older, they know, they know who you are and they know how you've shown up in their life. And no matter what the name is that's put on it, the relationship becomes the thing that you've developed. So then it has a life of its own, but it's really hard with little kids. I wanted to ask you because I, you know, we've talked to a lot of a lot of parents, primarily moms on this show, and there are phases of everyone's parenting that force you to question your resolve, and they right. and they and you question your confidence about your tack and your and and the path that you've taken and the strategies that you're employing, and you care deeply about making sure that you're doing it the right way. And a lot of times the response from from sympathetic friends and mothers and whomever else is like, oh, it's intuitive or like, oh, just like trust your gut, trust what feels right. right. And it's got to feel compoundedly difficult when 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 you're in the position you were in where you like you just said, you're not quite the stepmother and you're and you're still figuring out where your power position is coming from. Um, and then you're expected at three and five. I mean, they're babies and, they're babies. I mean, you know, Alari and I have, have kids that exact age and it's just, no, I mean, I taught Santi how to wipe his bum. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's like earns you some power. Right. It's, you're, you know, you're parenting, like you yeah. are parenting. Um, yeah. and it is, yeah, it's look, it's my only experience of parenting. So I, I am not. I don't have a competing story with a baby I birthed or even adopted. Like these are my kids. These are the only kids I have. Um, even language like that can be questioned when you are a step parent, mm-hmm. like um, where you're like, Oh yeah. Are those your kids? Yeah. These are my kids. Like I've had, I have been questioned about that language by one of my kids, mostly because I'm sure the language coming from their mom confused them about, you know what I mean? Like it yeah. is you, and you can never disparage their mom. You have to really make sure you protect their relationship with their mother, but it doesn't necessarily swing back in the other direction. So that's super thoughtful and interesting too, because I do think that uh, one of the hardest things that has to be in the, in the position you were and continue to be in is to recognize how core to their stability and important it is to have a positive, loving, unfraught relationship with their birth mother. And at the same time, you and your husband, I'm sure at times were at at odds with her and, and make, you know, I mean, I just, how do you, how do you remember to not share that piece of your life with your kids? How do you, you know, how do you, how do you hold that in? (laughs) It's really, really, really hard. It's really hard. And, you know, even down to the circumstances of why they got divorced, they don't know. You know what I mean? Because we protect them from that information. And it can be really hard, especially when it's coming at me, when there's an attack in a subtle way coming at me that I'm only hearing through the kids, Mm -hmm. you know, like Mm -hmm. questions about language. Um, You know, our youngest really like was having a hard time at, at the, I think the end of sixth grade. And and it turned out to be some things that were being said to him that we were able to talk through. So you always have to find a way. You always have to remember primarily that you're protecting the kids 
these two boys are loved. They're loved. They're loved in two households. They have a lot of love. And so they're fine. You know, it's really ego that would make one want to fix that. And it doesn't matter. You have to just set it aside. And I think that's true in all forms of parenting. But um, if they ask us questions, we will answer them in an age appropriate way. But they Mm -hmm. mostly don't ask about that kind of thing. Because I don't think either they don't want to know certain things or they're going to figure it out for themselves as they get older and they see the way all of us move through the world. So it also becomes their what is, you know what I mean? Well, this is just my life. You know, just say some two people, so, you know, yeah. there's two moms and there's this family that looks this way and there's a family that looks that way. This is what my family looks like. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I wonder... Um, you know, as you talked about ego and how it would be the ego, but I think it's also, there's a fear that's, that's a hundred percent. And I feel like everybody listening to this needs to listen to that. I mean, not just as you say, in a step parent role, but like in any parenting role, I mean, how many times do we get mad because our ego, whether it's with our spouse or our children, you know, my kids were saying some horrible things to me earlier on today because they were mad because I took away a toy that they were hurting each other with. And then of course I was the bad guy. And it was everything in my power just to like calm myself and be like, I'm not going to let my ego get involved in this. I'm not going to let my ego get involved. So you know, you want to. Yeah. Um, But it's also, I think that there's a fear sometimes, um, there's the fear of how is this going to turn out? Do I stand up for myself? Do I stay silent? Is right. staying silent, not standing up for myself, is it important to demonstrate that you should be a person to stand up for yourself? Right. I mean, even in a relationship where mommy and daddy are disagreeing and we're going to either disagree in front of the kids or we're going to disagree in the other room, which right. is it? Are you supposed to take every conversation in the other room or if your right. spouse says something to you that's not okay, is it good to stand up for yourself to teach your kids to stand up for you? Know what I mean, it's mm-hmm. just so complicated. And I think, you know, it's quite admirable, you know, how you have walked the waters of a very difficult um, situation and, and done so in a way where it sounds like everybody's really happy on the other side. Yeah, kids have no idea of any of the struggle. Yeah, that's amazing. And that, that, that's absolutely amazing. With their with their mom. I mean, my my husband and I, it's different. I like our dynamic in the house. If we do talk it out if there's something that, that happens. And we do show them, we do model relationship for them. And um, it's, you know, they're going to be really interesting guys. They live in two very settled houses. And so they're not, they, they're no longer, that trauma was brief. That trauma was done. And now they're they're like bilingual in terms of like how they move through the world. They have mm-hmm. two really different homes and they're just really well-adjusted guys and they're great brothers. So like those are, that that's your baseline. And then you're like, cool. The rest of it is just, especially at this stage now, now they're teenagers. So it's like, you're moving into different, different issues of like, how do you help them become independent adults and sort of protect them from their unformed uh, uh, frontal lobes. And that is, that is tricky in itself. And that is like, at this point, I feel really grateful that, you know, both boys have at some point in the last few years had something happen where they were upset. And in that incident, the language problem around their relationship with me got resolved. Like Mm -hmm. something that they heard or some idea that they were 
that was planted in their head got resolved. And like, I have, it was like a springboard into the future with both boys in really different ways Mm -hmm. uh, because they're really different people, but um, not to like expose their personal stories, but it was like, it's been really remarkable. And part of it is just that they're, you know, to me, like the greatest age on earth is 12 because it's like, they're still kids, but they're also really maturing in terms of their ability to form thoughts, have opinions, um, absorb what they've learned to communicate it. Um, so it's always around that time that I'm finding this great, like leap forward. And they have, they're not like full teenagers yet where they're kind of, (laughs) you know, it's interesting. I, I just, even uh, going back to what you said before that your, that your son who, you know, you helped work through big emotional feelings that all kids have. They just express them differently and all, all parents deal with, but they give their kids different toolboxes to rely on in their future of their life. Um, I think every struggle that a kid goes through or every sort of uneven terrain or like something that's not the, not the perfect straightforward path actually gives them a lot of tools that help them succeed in life later on. If you, if you as the parents support them through that and give them the tools to use, but I'm I'm really curious because some of my favorite conversations on this show have actually been about the woman first and the mother second and about how we feel, how we come to feel secure and confident in the path that we've taken. And so I'm really, if you're open to talk about it, I'd be so curious to hear how your husband was able to support you through what undoubtedly was a tricky time and like how he gave you or helped you get the confidence to feel empowered to, to, to take the steps that you had to take and to navigate the sort of ups and downs of it. And, um, and just to feel, feel good about it. He's a really wonderful partner and he's a really great father. Um, my husband comes from a divorced family and he was the kind of guy who was got married and was staying married and like circumstances had to get really dire for that to not continue. So he was dealing with a tragedy. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. to him, it was a tragedy that like that failed. Ultimately Mm -hmm. it was right that it failed because they weren't a good match, you know? So all that was good. It just wasn't his intention going in. So he, he, when he got married, he got married. So I think he saw me as a chance to recreate uh, the structure that he, or to create finally the structure that he was really looking for, even though I wasn't the birth mother of his kids um, and really encouraged me to step in and really needed me to step in, you know, right out of the gate. Um, Then it became, uh, sorry, I'm just switching back for one second because then it became complicated because as he healed from his divorce, he needed to be primary parent in this household. Um, And I am a type A strong, powerful woman. And so it is a real exercise to like, you know, it's a different, it's a different need. He's feeling guilty. He was feeling guilty because the kids, he didn't have them all the time. And so he's compensating for the 50% that he doesn't have. And that comes with a lot of energy and need. And I'm just, I'm there to parent as needed and be a support system and really allow him to parent the way he needs to, which is like taking a little bit of a backseat or at least a passenger seat um, 
that I wouldn't have necessarily chosen if I, if I had been part of their, if like they were my primary, probably their primary parent. But it's hard to say that. Those are uncomfortable words because I am parenting. So it's like, it's just a, it's a language problem. Right. No, and you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I am, I loved what you said in your article that I read about how, you know, stepmother is just such a, like, not fun word. Yeah. Um, and it, and it's such a rewarding relationship to have. There is yeah. something that's really magical about not being that, you know, as, as you just said, like the, that primary parent, the, the parent that was initially there. Right. The, the so hard. We're there first. It is, yeah. it is amazing because you do get to be, and you, you know, you ended the article saying I'm their Lisa. Right. I think, uh, you know, in the best of all worlds, I think what happens when you, when you become a step parent, when the child is older is there's less of a threat to the, to their birth mom, um, or their primary mom or whatever the mom yeah. you want to call it. Um, it's very threatening when somebody comes in and your babies are it's little. your baby. Yeah. And it's also, it's your baby and your baby is experience is being held and fed and loved and read to and put to bed and snuggled with. And it's not you. What kind of advice would you give not only to somebody who is coming in and has said, all right, I have fallen in love with this person and this person comes with children. Um, and you know, how can I make this a good experience, but also as a woman, um, or a man who is coming into relationship and sort of say, Hey, you know what? I know that this, this is a, a, a difficult, potentially difficult situation that I'm going to come into. Is that right for me? How can I take care of myself? What kind of self-care did you need to make sure that you weren't getting lost in this? Because what I hear from a lot of stepmoms is that they get lost in it. Yeah, you do because you're, you're backseat to literally everybody. Yeah. Um, you're backseat to the ex, you're backseat to the kids. Like it's a really, you have to have a lot of strength and you have to really believe in your relationship. And you also have to want a parent. Like it's not, I mean, then again, like different people run their households differently. There are people who are like, I'm the parent, you are my partner. You know what I mean? Like that, that happens also. Yeah. I don't know how to be in, I don't know how to be in that relationship. Like that, it's not who I am. It's not what was needed here. And when it was sort of okay for me to like, be like, okay, this household is as you would like it to be to my husband, you know, in terms of how he wants to raise the kids. Ultimately we agree on how to raise the kids or we right. wouldn't be good partners with each other. But, but, um, there are moments when you're just like, right, I'm just going to let him have this because it's, it's vitally important to him. Um, and there are plenty of times when I disagree. <laughs> I've been proven right over time. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, I think that's true for any family, honestly. I think that kind of compromise is always happening with any family. It's just a little bit of a dynamic, different dynamic when you're a step-parent. Um, how did I take care of myself? It's, well, you know, going to that family therapy session and really setting boundaries with his ex-wife was really important. Um, that was like having like a boundary at the door was really important because I needed to be able to do my job, um, and not worry about taking care of her. Um, because that wasn't my job because she's a grown up. Um, and I think it was good for her too. Like we never had to be in that uncomfortable circumstance or very rarely. And so the kids were never 
exposed to any kind of tension between she and I. Um, and now we're totally fine, you know, at sports events or whatever, but it, it took a long time of healing. So really understanding your own val your own boundaries, um, really feeling it and acknowledging it when like you're getting trampled in the process. Um, I think it's all about communication. You know, Robert, when I met him, I met the kids fairly quickly. I met the kids a few weeks after I met him. Um, and his theory, which is different than others, was that she, I wasn't dating him. I was dating them. Right. And he needed to know that I understood that going in. And I think a lot of relationships, I think they make the mistake if they're serious about each other, but it's not like casual. If they're serious about each other, I think it's a mistake to hide the kids away because that is also, those are also people you're in a relationship with. Like you were saying, you right. know, like I can, I know this is your child. And if your child hates me, you're not, you're going to be torn the entire time right. we're together. Right. Um, and, and that's brutal to everybody at the same time. It's like a lot of pressure on the kid, even though she doesn't know it, that like everyone's looking at her to give the thumbs up, right. which is, a lot of power to give a child, right. mm -hmm. whether or not that child knows they have a power. So, you know, it's, it's complicated and it's, it's nuanced and it's really very, very personal. Yeah. When you enter a new relationship with anyone, especially someone on the heels of divorce, someone with, um, you know, damage and heartache that they're working through. And you, like you said, you, you know, you started seeing each other really quickly after their separation and everything. But how did you let your relationship have like clean ground to start from? Or like, how did you get, how did you, I get, I mean, it, uh, clearly like help him heal, but also give your romance a, a chance to start fresh right. without, you know, like how, what did that look like? First of all, the beauty of divorce is that you're week on week off, right? So you do have this time together that mm. a lot of that families who have stayed together don't have, they don't have grown up time. Um, so there there's time where you can recover from um, whatever chaos children bring and also and reconnect. Um, that's like one of the hidden secrets of, of coming, of being a divorced family. <laughs> um, it's just time off time, time to be grown up. I, I definitely, we definitely had to work hard at him not reacting to me from the trauma of his last relationship. And that was a big journey. Um, and we really, for whatever reason, I was the right person with the right language um, to be able to get through to him. I mean, he would, he was waiting to be betrayed. So he was looking for a betrayal and he was looking for it around every corner. Um, and I've seen it in my other friends' relationships. He would get into a state of mind where he would start asking me questions to find the betrayal. And I could tell he was in a thing if the questions were circular, if he would get back around to the first one because he wasn't getting to the betrayal. Um, and that betrayal could be like something in, from my past that had literally nothing to do with him, but it was this feeling he was having of fear. Um, and so I figured out a way to like be like, if you, I hear your questions, you've already asked me this one. Why don't you write all your questions down? <laughs> and then tomorrow... I'll answer them. <laughs> so then, like, interesting. Yeah, yeah, because I was dealing with trauma, right? I wasn't dealing with the person I loved. I was dealing with 
a traumatized person and a cyclical um, circular logic there. Yeah. Yeah. And that had, and it was, I had had a relationship like that, like a decade earlier and I didn't rec- I didn't know what it was. And I kept answering the questions and it was a sick relationship. Like it couldn't ever get past. And it was so heartbreaking because I really liked the person. So this time when I saw it happening again, I was like, Oh, hold on a second. I've seen this before. This has nothing <laughs> to do with me. I'm not in this story. And it probably helped him be able to see the next day, like the, it's the same way whenever you're dealing with something in your head, it's very overblown or like all these things are feeding into each other to see it written out. You see how there's only one real question you're asking and it's the same question you've been asking forever. And this is the answer yet again, you know, really interesting. And honestly, the, the question is, can I trust you? And like, that's not a question you can answer. Yes. That's only a question that that's all, that answer is earned. You know what I mean? That truly you have to earn it. Um, and then like, of course, I got girlfriends got to divorce where I'm like now like making out with all these different men. <laughs> 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 like he he had just gotten through all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, like I'm I'm like in my underwear on camera with these <laughs> beautiful men. So then, then he had to like do it again in a different way. Like, okay. So, you know, now I'm starting Lone Star and like day one, I'm making out with Rob Lowe. Like I'm literally going into quarantine and being tested three times a week so we can have oh like my God. A, a love scene. And now my husband's like, whatever. Wait, so talk about talk about this a little bit because you've been a part of so many iconic shows. And I mean, your character specifically, I feel like people just absolutely love. Talk to us a little bit about this latest project. And also, yeah, like what's it like post-COVID taping makeout scenes? What is that? Well, we haven't done it yet. I, they just wrote this like love scene and I was like, okay, I called the producers. Like, here's my opinion, not that you're asking. The only way we can shoot a love scene is if it's the very first thing that we shoot in production right? Mm-hmm. and we quarantine and we're, we're tested. I mean, we're uh, tested three times a week, quarantine. So, you know, like between that test and the final test, you've had no exposure to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're like, it's a clean room. And then you can only do that that one day. And then like, there's all these other people you're exposed to after that because you're getting your hair and makeup done, whatever. So Rob was into it. Rob Lowe, not Robert, my husband. Um, Robert, my husband is fine. (laughs) Um, um, Just to correct. uh, Yeah, so it'll be fun. I haven't seen uh, Rob Lowe in a very long... We worked together on West Wing, where I played a hooker that he was in a relationship with. Unknowingly, he didn't know I was a hooker. Um, (laughs) um, Yeah, and so... And it's going to be interesting because I'm also doing Kaminsky Method. We're going back to Kaminsky Method at the same time, so... I'm going to be tested like six times a week because each studio has to test. But I'm so glad that, um, that your industry is getting back to it. Like that you are finding the creative and responsible ways to do that. And my dad's show went back to production and it, what they really kind of like led the protocol of, uh, and led with all the shows your dad, uh, the Dr. Oz show. Um, oh, oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just, but it was, I mean, you know, this is a show that used to be audience, you know, had 140 right. audience members all the time, has a huge staff. I mean, 120 people are on staff at the show and, and it's, yeah. it was really cool to get to see 
um, you know, how they sort of creatively uh, looked at this issue and how they could keep everyone safe and still go back and make really quality content. Because I think people, um, you know, I I think you obviously you love your job and you want to continue to put out really important and, and, um, and, and in your case, like entertaining and wonderful content. Yeah, Yeah, of of course. I love Um, working. Actually, can I ask you one last question and then we're going to get yeah. you to talk about your favorite things if you've been prepared to to share something that you are obsessed with right now. Um, okay, sure, any, sure. Okay, good. It could be that like awesome uh, tie-dye set you're wearing because it's so yeah. good. Um, I have to ask you one question because I always find it so cool and fascinating that that in your early 20s, you were dubbed the queen of the night in New York, which I just feel like is the best thing you could ever, you could ever aspire to do, um, especially in, in the, you know, in the heyday of just like, I mean, thinking back even last year, let yeah. alone 10 years ago, whatever, you know, in, in the way that New York nightlife used to look and feel and that sort of like yeah. sexy vibration of energy that was everywhere. Can you yeah. remember one night that you thought was just like, this is the most fun I've ever had in New York. <laughs> just like, let us regale us, like, let us live that vicariously. Um, I think, I think one of the most exciting nights was, uh, we went and we went to a Fellini, we were guests at a the Fellini, uh, Federico Fellini no premiere and hung out with him. And we were like all the freaks of the city with like the master of freaks. And so it was, it was very exciting. <laughs> you know, I was so young. I was a teenager when that started. And I really was in a whirlwind of excitement to be in that, in that community with all these incredible, colorful, weird, wonderful people, um, that a lot of my experiences are like, they're like, I can't even grab them. They're just, it literally feels like I'm spinning around when I try to remember details. But that night I remember, like, that's a moment where I could actually freeze in place and be like, oh, this is really cool. Um, yeah, but it wasn't really about like celebrity. In fact, it was sort of anti-celebrity. It had its own celebrities uh, within the microcosm. And I think that's why people were interested in it. Um, so it was more just about being in a community that was so creative and weird and sort of uh, anti-establishment and um, demanding the space to be. Because there were a lot of, there were a lot of trans people. There were a lot of drag queens. There were a lot of weird performance artists and musicians and artists and visual artists and um, just people who were living in a really creative state. Because you could have an apartment for like $400 a month in New York at that point in time. It was, it was pretty wrecked. It was abandoned. (laughs) Like, so you couldn't get a cab in Soho. Like I had a, I had a birthday party. A, like an illegal party for my birthday, which wasn't my birthday, uh, in Soho in an abandoned warehouse. Oh my god! So where like three thousand people came who I didn't know, and <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean the, the idea that there would be an abandoned warehouse in Soho. I was like, going to say that alone. Yeah. That, that abandoned warehouse is now a, a forty million dollar townhouse. It's like yeah, exactly. Um, who brought the alcohol for three thousand people? You didn't. Know. I have no idea. I was. I, they were like, "Let's have a birthday party for you." I was like, "It's not my birthday." Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's amazing. Okay, wait. So, what's your what's your favorite thing today? I've been, you know, having art project. So I've been doing magic marker drawings. So oh. like this, this one I just finished. <gasps> wow. Oh my gosh. That's beautiful. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've just, I've, I've sort of gone crazy with the magic marker drawings. This one. 
Wait, why do you love the medium of magic markers? These are incredible, but like, that's such a different thing. I love it. Um, you know, I, I always loved magic markers as a kid. It's been really fun to do that. It's been really, really fun to have that as a, a means. I mean, what else are you doing during COVID? You know, you're just sitting there like this or listening to the news for eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. So it's been, it's been very healing and meditative. And I've always loved to draw. So, um, but having a husband who's a fine artist is like, then you just don't want to do it because he's, he's so talented. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but he's been really supportive. He's like, let's do a show. We're going to do a show this work. I was like, all right, you, you organize that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd go to it. I think it's good. I'd go to oh, it. Oh, thanks. I'll invite you. I will be right there. Once COVID is over, I will be the first one in line. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much. This thank is really, you very really much. Thanks, guys. All right, guys. So that was Lisa. And I have to tell you, it's really, it's cool to get to hear from someone who has like a really good grasp on themselves and a really good awareness of the people in her life that she loves. I think it's, I think that's why I asked the question about navigating a relationship with someone who you know is coming with their own baggage. I mean, everyone comes to relationships with their own baggage, but I think some are more pronounced than others. And it's really um, empowering and and kind of amazing to see her ability to be like, this is not you. This is your trauma talking. This is your cycle of self-doubt or or doubt of me talking. And let's, here's a strategy that we're going to each take a breath and step back and not respond with this knee-jerk, you know, reaction in the moment. I'm going to give you a second to see how it plays out. And we'll talk about this tomorrow. I thought that was really valuable for every relationship in any stage where, you know, there's two humans trying to, trying to be a part of each other's lives. Well, it's also kind of magical to like go to therapy right at the beginning of a relationship. Be like, we really want to make this work out. Like you, then you, mm-hmm. then you know, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? If you've given it that at the beginning, then you like really know. Um, I loved what she talked about, how she said about um, being able to meet the children relatively soon, like understanding this is going to be our dynamic. So let's actually see if it works. Because yeah. what I usually hear is wait a while, then eventually introduce to the kids. And and she's right in some ways. I mean, that will work for some families, but there are some glitches in that in that system as for well. Sure. Sure. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think I think one of the most important things that I took away f- from her is that each dynamic, each family dynamic is different. You know, and it isn't that one size fits all to be a stepmom. You know, it it is, this is what has worked for her and her family. And these are the boundaries that had to be created. And this is where she had to have the ego conversation. And this is how they could all, you know, be supportive parents to these two boys that everybody really loves and coming, as she said, from two very loving households. Um, and that that's great and might work for her. And then, as she said, you know, something else is going to work for for somebody else. I mean, it's just there's so many different, um, you know, details that come into the makeup yeah. of families that 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 makes any kind of dynamic complicated. But yes, definitely, as as uh, a step parent comes in, it can make it very very complicated. So um, no, I'm, I think it's a it's a tough thing to talk about, and I'm very grateful that she was so open with us. And now it's time for our favorite things. Now it's time for our favorite things. Oh, yeah. One of the things that I'm obsessed with right now are um, Zara knits. Um, their knit clothes are so 
so cute. And I've always been a Zara fan. It's, you know, it is a Spanish brand. And um, so I've known about it since for very, very, very long time before I was in this country. And I um, have always been obsessed with it. I love it for myself. I love it for all of my kids. But their like newborn stuff is so cute. And they do a lot of very, you know, um, thoughtful um, ways that they, I think they're trying to be more sustainable and they're doing a lot of like nice cottons and they're not putting the like flame retardant stuff on it. And it's like really decent prices too, considering that they grow out of stuff immediately and they just poop on everything or pee on. Like this baby has peed on me more than in his first month, more than any of my other children have peed on me in their like collective existence. <laughs> so like I, yes. So I don't love to just like put him in like really fancy things that he's just going to poop and pee on and there's going to be like milk on it. And anyway, yes. And he'll grow out of immediately. But anyway, so Zara knits, knits. Um, okay, so guys, my favorite thing this week is actually something called a sensory box. And I think um, a lot of you probably intuitively have maybe like created something like this for your kids before, but it's a really fun gift to get them, especially if you just if you're someone who likes to keep a little closet of rainy day activities or you know, you want something special to do on a day that you need them just to sit and leave you alone for half an hour while you get something done. Um, and there's a bunch of brands now. They're all over Etsy that uh, that make these for you. But one uh, one brand in particular had actually reached out to me. They're called Busy Box Child. And I was just looking through their stuff and thought it was so cute. And my kids love, love, love things like this. So I thought I would share with you guys. Again, so many small businesses and incipient businesses are really struggling right now. And I'm thrilled to get to throw some attention and some light towards moms looking to do something really great for their families and really great for our families. So anyway, that's this is one of those cases. And it's a really just a cute company um, that helps, most importantly, your kids develop really important sensory skills and, um, and uh, you know, really powered through play, which I think is such a cool thing. So they'll they'll include little Play-Dohs and like little, little, um, little, you know, little gold coins and little tiny, uh, you know, dolls in that go in special little boxes and things. And um, yeah, like fluffy little pom-poms and just things that feel different and texturally are different and go together in different ways for the kids to make a contained little mess, which I think is good too. It's also an organization. Like I went to Montessori school. I, I still think that it's such a great learning system to get kids to understand about organization and, and where like things having a place and being able to find your stuff when you actually put things in their place and, um, and like little sand traps and things in these little boxes. And it's all almost, if you ever beat it, it's in like a little beading kit. So it's very contained. It feels special for the kids. It's something fun and entertaining and educational. It might buy you a free, a few free minutes in your day, which I think is great. And, um, and again, love being able to try to support small businesses where we can. So this was something that came across my path that I thought you guys would love to hear about. I reached out to Carolyn, who's the founder of Busy Box, and asked her for a discount code in case any of you guys were interested in checking out the themed sensory kits. And she is giving you guys 10% off any order with the code MOMBRAIN1020, all lowercase, MOMBRAIN1020 for 10% off any themed sensory kits. I have to tell you, I went on to the website and just bought the Mermaid Life Kit for Philo. There's a Halloween kit that's super cute, um, a pirate treasure hunt kit. 
And then John had to have the mission space kit since he's all about his astronauts and his galactic goo and all kinds of good stuff. So anyway, excited for you guys to check out her cool business and hopefully for your kids to enjoy it. And um, yeah, our family loves these things. They're just fun, good, good, clean, messy fun. We also want to let you know about PureWell and their new annual series called Happy Kid Awards, a guide to the best products for families from toys to books to new parent must-haves. They polled PureWell parents nationwide and talked to experts for recommendations and tested toys firsthand to come up with the 77 top buys of 2020. Head to purewell.com slash family slash happy kid awards and check it out. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. Tell all of your friends. We love building our mom brain community. Find us everywhere, Instagram. Um, We are uh, making it hard for you guys to avoid us because we love you (laughs) and want you to come hang out with us. Um, And and email us, mombrainpod at gmail.com. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye, guys. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Mom Brain is a Gallery Media Group original production.